the uh, liberation, vimoka, in the ending of suffering, that uh, when it's expressed as a liberation, it's liberation from clinging, being being grasped, being held, feeling grasped, feeling held, feeling oppressed, feeling attacked, feeling, you know, these kind of ways in which we feel a certain tightness or clenching or compulsiveness or pressure occurring to us, pragmatically. So freedom, liberation from that. Liberation from what we can begin to understand more fully is the, the experience of self, which is always that separate, um, I'm in here, that's out there, this is happening to me, I've got to hold this, I should be this, I never was that, they're always doing this, I'm not with them, they don't understand me, you know, all this things where we suffer you know so if it's it's positive so I am this then there's a sense of having to maintain it and sustain it and hold it and prove it and claim it and defend it and so on so a certain amount of stress and tension can occur so even uh, you know states we rather enjoy or situations we rather enjoy if the clinging occurs around them, one owns them, there's a certain kind of, we may not be suffering in the present, but we set up, the, the conditions get set up for disappointment, loss, and so on. So, liberation from self, liberation from the aggregates, five aggregates, And uh, to to um, flesh that out a bit, I think it's important to recognise that this is not annihilation because the self is not a permanent entity. The aggregates are not really things; they're more like patterns, dynamic patterns that almost tendencies or aggregations. So. Um, even body, rupa, form, you can recognize actually, you know, form as a perceived thing is changing all the time. Um, you know, what, what you, so you, we have an idea of, of the form of one's body, actually, but if you look at it, it looks quite different when it's lying down, when it's standing up. You shave it or wash it or, you know, and so on, it looks different. It can increase its weight and lose its weight. Um, the expressions, particularly on the face, can give rise to quite a different form, give different overall sense. How how big are you? you know, when you stand next to a toddler, you look very big. Stand next to a whale, you look very small. So, you know, it requires any definition or cognitive. Um, hold on the form as being a permanent thing it's really just a relative um, you know reference and when you experience form internally you also internally it, it feels even more apparently it's a dynamic thing so sometimes it seems to be all head or a lot happening in the chest or something happening in the abdomen or one you know one leg feels a lot of energy in it the other one doesn't so if you try to define your body moment by moment in terms of the somatic impression, you come up with something like a candle flame in the wind. It's flickering and shifting and changing. What shape is a candle flame? So really the uh, you know, permanence even of something as, as apparently fixed and stable as a, as a physical form is, is an action something makes it permanent this is the a, a, a holding it 
um, you know, defining it as something that's done through the mind, which is useful, obviously. Feeling clearly is a throbbing, pulsing, shifting, changing thing. Perception, cognition is something that that, uh, is an event. Uh, It just jumps at us. The way that uh, we recognize or cognize a person, you know, from moment to moment can shift, can't it? As being, uh, you know, pleasant pleasant features or not so pleasant being seemingly friendly or menacing uh, lovable or uh, not lovable mm. so quite clearly the cognitive takes we have on things is shifting a lot and you, you can recognize when the when there's a powerful uh, grasping or powerful pressure a powerful shift then these cognitive effects really jump when you're in a panic or you're frightened or you're really angry. Then, you know, suddenly you know, the world seems to be pop- peopled by demons and um, you know, one's fellow summoners seem to be, you know, unfriendly or unkind or and so on. So dependent upon the these kind of pressures that occur for us when the when the mind is very relaxed things are not clear things are not that it's misty don't have such a clear uh, cognitive sense apart from the cognitive sense that things are changing the perception of impermanence things are shifting things are misty things are mirage like and that's there's something very peaceful about that. Our bias and tendency is to favour clarity over empathy or, or ease. So functioning uh, habit get get clear. So we you know it's a kind of training in, in the functioning of, of our our world, our daily life is to really very much emphasise distinct clarity um, but there are, there's a price to pay for that because people get very hard and hard headed and this is right and that's wrong and intolerant um, biased, prejudiced and particularly in relationships with other people the enemies, the evil ones the good guys, the bad guys the criminals uh, you know And so it is sort of very clear, isn't it? Particularly when there's a international disputes, how suddenly, you know, the French or the Germans become, you know, mistrustful uh, barbarians or <laughs> warmongers or whatever. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, a few months later, oh, uh, friends and <laughs> kind of history of Europe is like that all the, all the time, shifting around these kind of perceptions, actually. You know, eventually, nothing much you can say about any nation apart from it's just people with karma. Sankaras are this uh, the formative tendencies. There's a dynamic, so um, it's to do with volition, the push. In terms of action, if you like, the very uh, intensification, the very propellant of um, experience. We we are we push, we rush, we feel pushed, we feel rushed, we feel pressed. Um, Things become very intense, uh, compulsive, urgent. The things abate; they become uh, well. So what? It's just one one little dot in the whole picture. Suddenly, you know, the pattern changes, and that, that kind of push into intensifying is the, that's the sankara. So it intensifies in terms of holding one's attention onto one particular item, riveting it there. That's attention. That's the sankara. Intention is the is the very volitional 
do something, get it, have it, make it, push it away, work it out, think about it, that kind of urge. Yeah. So those two, you see how they, they, they define what we're experiencing. They, they choose, select, highlight something. And then the, the contact is, is, is the third aspect of Sankara, is the, is the kind of feedback you're getting from that thing, which is, which is often recharging. You know, you, one, in the course of an hour or so, your mind hits something that seems to be uh, problematic or fascinating or irritating. And then, you know, you feel the, sort of like the, the focus shifts to that, hits on that, lights it up, illuminates it, and there you are, you know, in that, getting feedback from that particular topic, and you can get quite obsessed, I'm sure. This is not news, <laughs> you know. And so the Sankara is, is, the, is the, the agent, the energy, the dynamic of all that. It can highlight bodily experience, it can highlight, cop, you know, feelings, um, memories, thoughts, and charge them up. Mm. And so, as I've been many times just trying to recommend uh, and find skillful means to, to how we can discharge or release that, that perhaps first of all by shifting contact if you can you know turn towards something else sometimes it is so much uh, compulsion like you really need to figure this out or you feel very held by something well just try to widen your attention around it so just sort of seeing the space between the thoughts or widening your, your bodily field beyond the particular pleasant or painful experience so you widening so you shift your attention so it, it's giving it you know less possibility for that to become obsessive mm-hmm. or a problem trying to see the, the problems in one's life in terms of something larger you know the, the field of merit that we're in mm-hmm. and you kind of look at something a bit bigger than that mm-hmm. I think this is very helpful. Or you can narrow the focus down to try to see it momentarily, but I tend to recommend widening the focus so that the sense of a little bit more um, space and less intensity about what one's experiencing. This helps the volitional push. The volitional thing is both in terms of what the particular topic or thought or concern seems to you know ask to be solved or considered or or mulled over you know that pressure to to make it change or to to find out or make it go away so aware of that mm-hmm. Sometimes one gets just pointless, silly thoughts. It's almost as if the the, uh, the thinking system has huge amounts of memories in it and sometimes when there's nothing much to do, it just throws up one. It's kind of like, it's random for a bit of, you know, ping pong. My mind can do this. So I'm thinking, who invented the jet engine? It doesn't matter. Who invented it? It doesn't matter. What it sounds like? No, it doesn't matter. I think it was. Stop it! <laughs> okay. No. I know it was. It was. <laughs> it's there. Yeah, right. Forget it. I've forgotten it now. No, I've forgotten to let it go. It was. It must have been. <laughs> because it's a very. Just kind of pointless, you know. Uh, thought um, sometimes things are a little more charging them aren't they than that just the uh, like, um, you know memories or pains or injustices that have been done to us <laughs> as we all have had I'm sure injustices done 
shouldn't, shouldn't have to, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be worried by this, I should let go of this. So that even thinking one should let go is another kind of volitional, coming from volitional pressure. You know, I think I just stop it, let, should let go of it, should let go of it. Just try to relax. Even with busy thinking mind, relax the idea, the pressure that you've got to stop it. But you can try just, you know, relaxing it, stopping the thinking, and then perhaps relaxing the pressure that you should stop thinking and contemplate the movement, the energy, the emotive patterns in a particular thought. Sometimes things almost have to be heard. And there can be breaks in that when a particular concern is coming up and and you feel pressured by it, just giving it a more open space, patience. And then you notice within the train of thought there's a, there's a, sort of a wave of it rushing and there's moments when it ebbs. You notice the ebbing. So the, you know, the volitional push that you have towards an object to work on that you know that, that urge to get something going or urge to stop something and then contemplating the volitional push within an experience our desire is scrambling for that pleasant thing or the scrambling to get away from that unpleasant thing or the restlessness is rushing to find something or the doubt is teetering around looking for something, some decision or some conclusion or the ill will keeps you know, moving around the boxing ring punching whoever we're beating up in our minds at this moment you know, it's always looking for the knockout blow when you finally really tell them what you wanted to and you know, give them what they deserve and so forth <laughs> You know, so there's a volitional push within something, within the topic. And we, there's a sense of not acting upon that clearly in terms of behavior. In terms of contemplation, it can be a, a sort of a a silence around those within around those hindrances that allows them to you to, the energy to shift. So one was actually no longer trying to get one the ill will to to finish something off, but just feeling the energy of it of aversion or desire. Got a little power there. And it can almost, this very energy can change. One no longer tries to um, you know, follow what it wants to do, or push it away, or be frightened by it. Holding it in the body, holding it in terms of an energy, is, the, is as if we are deriving, de- de- depriving the hindrance of its food in terms of action or reaction. So these, so this pattern, the patterns, the, the dynamic patterns of these things can be released. There can be quite a lot of fear and fluster and agitation around unskillful states or even uh, sort of kind of imagining that one has unskillful states. There's a sense of, of, of fluster and agitation.
certainly in um, living uh, this life of restraint and discipline you can get very conscious of things like um, sexuality or attraction of the opposite sex so you can get quite frightened of that power of that, the energy of that so you know you see a, a woman or you see a man and there's a kind of oops a kind of fear agitation um, so I've contemplated this myself quite a lot because you're always not just uh, concerned with yourself but there's always somebody who's going to create some <laughs> rumour or story <laughs> people like to have these stories you know, so I generally, you know, from year to year, I generally have one or two bits of gossip going around about about myself. And so you get quite frightened, nervous that any kind of behaviour, particularly my case towards towards women, you know, will be noted, misinterpreted, and put out on the on the grapevine. <laughs> so you know, you feel quite nervous and, and, and frightened of even seeing or talking to, to women uh, but I was noticing um, you know so sometimes just seeing like, the early year a woman turned up and I saw this face and I thought, who's there I could see this person's face and I just wondered who it was so I looked at her and she looked, she looked at me she obviously recognised me she gave me a smile I thought oh dear so, you know, immediately I felt frightened um, actually I recognised that there hadn't been any um, you know sexual interest just wonder who that is and then I kind of contemplated in the mind how you know one kind of imagines something's there that isn't there Sort of paranoia, fear. So certainly, you know, when I, in this situation, of course, uh, people are generally very well covered and make no particular gestures of any kind of attractiveness. But when I go to a city or then of course everybody's running on a different circuit, a uh, different kind of idea. And then I actually notice, you see, women dressed up and you know doing what they can to to look pleasant. You know, it's not necessarily grabbing, which is kind of pleasant, pleasantly neat, tidy, attractive, or whatever. And so I actually look at that. Realise there isn't actually anything there, you know, for myself. But the first assumption is, in my mind, there probably is, <laughs> you know, because you have this sense of being always so guarded about it. Actually, look, actually, I think I'm finishing with this stuff. It isn't there. You know? Or maybe you might see one particular gesture where you can feel some kind of energy arise. You think, oh, it's just that particular gesture or particular suggestion or something like that. And so, you know, these things do wear out. Uh, Desire. uh, So, going on, Bindabad is very good for that, isn't it? So, you know, when when we have our days where we just go along and people put food in the bowls, and then probably from time to time, if not many times, you see they didn't put that cake in the bowl. <laughs> Idiot, you know. Because there's always, on Sundays in there's always about 25 dishes, you know. And there's people who don't know, who are not really that familiar, so they just put something. Goodness me, they're pretty stingy on that, weren't they? You know. And then, why do they put that rubbish in my bowl for? And then, <laughs> they missed out on the croissants. You know, so you can see that kind of thing going on, and then after a while, you you can just sort of see the game of it. 
as sort of something that's there as something to wind you up. And uh, as you contemplate and examine the whole process of, of food, the seeing of it, what that brings up. And uh, generally, mo- most food in in a Looks very, looks very attractive because that's that's the bit, isn't it? It's there, it looks attractive. You know, you see a cake or a pastry or something, you know, nice twirls and flaky things and golden brown. You know, then you eat one. It's actually it's, <laughs> it's nothing much. Is it? It's just the, something dissolves into a goo in a few seconds when you swallow it and. And you spit it out of your mouth, you won't even look at it, let alone eat it. And so you, you contemplate things like this. You, you begin to see how nothing is what nothing is what you see it as. It's, you know, it's just a visual, uh, a cognitive act. Nothing, nothing's nothing's there in the way that you see it or think it. it it's also relative. You know, you take that pastry out of the oven and it looks warm, fragrant. You know, you can't wait to get your chops around it. You leave it on the counter for a few days <laughs> because it's cold and stale. <laughs> you don't want to throw it, feed it to the birds. Uh, put it in your mouth and in a few seconds it's just the memory. It's like that, isn't it? So you see the, these... Uh, but you can get so much into the the idea that you you have a big defilement about this your sexuality or food or you know, actually contemplate how that that suggestion can come up and, you, and then it can also dissolve. It's just that, and over time, gradually, the suggestion becomes much less powerful. It's just a vague hint of this would be nice and then eventually that kind of you know the mind doesn't even push that one it's just the perception that's a whole process that you in contemplation of uh, doing some of the just taking the time to contemplate the arising of passion desire aversion fear and you know you know so that the most um, helpful cognitive thing is the cognition of of impermanence, just bearing, contemplating things in that way, and uh, it gradually, the volitional, the sankara begins to release and relax slowly. It's impermanence, it's changing. These patterns do change both in the moment and in the long term. Consciousness, the word is slightly confusing for the English language. It's more useful to think of awareness of something, consciousness of something, or sense datum. So it's awareness of a visual object, awareness of a thought, a mental object. It's that moment when something is actually... Um, on your screen, mm. so cognition is the is the act of it, it um, getting you or landing or triggering something, and consciousness is the first um, sense of discerning something. You know, you actually see something, and then you know perhaps a a hair split second later you recognise what it is. The two slightly different experiences. And this is ha- this is changing all the time. And when we we meditate, then the by by um, cooling and turning away from the external senses, you just have the the mind consciousness, which you realise actually the the only objects of mind consciousness are mind objects so if the mind could you know let go and relax there wouldn't be any there's a cessation of consciousness because it you know and the mind objects are you know uh, cognitive effects moods emotions thoughts feelings 
easier. That's the real priority because otherwise a blind person or a deaf person or a person with a deaf, blind, you know, numb would be enlightened. It's, it's not the external senses that are the problem. It's the internal one. And that's the only one we need to, to finally, you know, uh, quieten and release. So this, this can, this cessation or stopping or release of, of consciousness in, in the mind. And in a nutshell, this is what I recommend is that you make the paramount as you, in your meditation, anyway, the paramount mind object is the experience of letting go. So, as you become, you know, more familiar with that that theme in practice, it's not just an action. You you can you you can sense both the the releasing quality whenever whenever there is a letting go, that sense of uh, you know, and almost the sphere of release. The sphere of release is rather. Um, you know, there's no, it's not like kind of floating, something like that. There's, there's what, you know, as, as one more lets go, is a sense of, you don't, when you, when there is letting go, it's, there's a release into some, you know, quietness, silence, stillness, space, you know. Um, which can be experienced. So making that, all that, that's one's uh, chief object to contemplate when the, when the chitta releases or relaxes and in the sense, using the word you know, broadly, the sense of, of letting go, of release of openness of which has got a, a certain presence knowing this doesn't know any doesn't know a thing but it is aware alive um, sensitive but there's, there's no particular no object there's always something that's, that's quite momentary or we begin to recognize So this, these aggregates don't have to be, you know, drummed up. Don't have to be pulled in. Don't have to be garnered and gathered together and, and fashioned into something. Very often in meditation, this is done through uh, establishing a particular refined um, sphere calm jhana samadhi uh, samadhi indriyas where the indriyas come together the five indriyas come together some sense of steadiness well-being um, whereby the the more pressure the pushing the tumultuous the withdrawn can be something to ease themselves in. So the whole tension and, and, and compulsion and fearfulness and defensiveness and contractedness has got something to loosen itself into, a quality of calm or uplift or ease, joy. Mm-hmm. In the Anapanasati city, in the third tetrad, you have a description um, of the very sphere of chitta itself. So as I was saying the other day, the theme runs fully sensitive to chitta, gladdening or uplifting or rejoicing in chitta, steadying and liberating these four themes this is when we have established a particular 
meditation theme of breathing in and breathing out so it becomes something that is steady and it's got a supportive calm um, presence it's not something we have to keep doing or struggling with so you can actually kind of rest in the in the mood and the sign of the breathing it's not the air breath it's the it's something that comes through the the mind, the energy, the body, where it becomes a kind of palpable um, presence. And then looking back into the knowing of that, the awareness of that. Or the, you might say, colloquially speaking, who's experiencing it. And there's a quiet um, firmness or presence. Rejoice and gladdening in that. So, as if we have uh, using the breathing as a mirror to look back upon our apparent self or apparent center or apparent knowing. Stabilizing so that there's no need to do anything or make anything or know anything even. So this is the where through that um, fundamentally a, a samadhi or samatha practice you're liberating or freeing up the drive, the compulsion to make, do, have, understand, develop, progress, you know, work out and there's a rest state of rest liberating you this is something that you know we can occur when one's on the on the fairway of meditation when the water's smooth which it isn't always but it helps to as actually working a particular understanding particular root tendencies the, the jump the jumping the pushing, the holding, the contracting, the defending, the you know, certain root tendencies, the the fluster, the jump. You see, you don't. There is possible. There is a, there is the non. There is the not doing of that. There can be the, the release from that. You see, you can see that. And when you release from that, does not mean cold, blank, dull, dead, spaced out. It means something warm sustaining where actually our, our deepest needs are met we feel satisfied in the larger sphere of our lives using Recognize that when you begin to understand in, in meditation the the the, chi, the key aggregate is the sankara aggregate, which is the thing that gets us going, the thing that holds our forms an object, holds attention onto it, continually derives feedback from it, so we get more and more um, tunneled vision on something, you know, and you and um, in a way when you begin to review this you see there are certain root tendencies within that tunnel vision like the tendency to feel fear frightened, the tendency to feel alienated, the tendency to feel angry, the tendency to feel sad and lost and so these are the suffering aren't they and it's as if it's almost these root tendencies are there latent tendencies and they're, they're hovering to, 
find, you know, so that they're triggered and something happens and then there we go into our story again. The whole lot comes up. Here's my bit of why I feel so, you know, abused or disliked or lost or whatever it is. And, and of course, you know, the, the, the Sankara and the Sanya Kanda are quite capable of concocting and, and deriving from the flow of experience the particular items that will support that so you get then you, you find yourself locked into a feedback loop of fear or grief or, or rage and you keep focusing on that and held in the objects that stimulate it mm. and so when but you see this this Sankara experience is also called the karma formations is another very useful way of, of recognizing and highlighting it means this is where your karma is is generated this is where you can see the blueprints of the past karma the, the, the tendencies of the vipaka that's there this is where it's going the new stuff or the old stuff is going to get repeated again here is me here am I this is the situation where I'm going to get you know, whatever it is, righteous, indignant, wounded, lost, depressed, um, agitated, you know, got to do some fearful, whatever it is. This is this, here it comes again. You know. Here's where I get betrayed again. <laughs> and so on. You know, and, and I've been through this before, haven't we? Now it's just a new, new series of actors in a new theatre, but it's the same grisly old play the same old tragedy and uh, you know this is what this is where the karma this is suffering on a conventional level what we need to do is to, well, let's just refrain from the physical or verbal action on that if we can. Just check that so you don't uh, intensify the amount of feedback one's going to get in that particular story. And then you begin to kind of you know, work on the inter, the heart karma, the chitta-sankara, the, the stirred up state where all those um, triggers and buttons are getting pushed. So the intention that they create, how I'm going to do this or run away from this or get into that, let's just ask the question, do you, do you want any more karma? <laughs> or do you want any more? Do you want to go down that, we can, get, can go down that alleyway again, do you want to do that? And... Um, because the because we we can all feel we have no choice at that particular time. It could be a feeling of real need to make get it done or defend oneself. So I, certainly, I think a very common one is is just you know the most compulsive thing probably for people is defend. You know, you're going to get wiped out. You're going to get kicked around, you're going to get abused, you're going to get dumped on, you're going to get leaned on, you're going to get walked over, you know, so, so, so then therefore one reacts to create karma to prevent that happening. I don't want to be left out in the cold, therefore I'm going to, you know, because we feel we have no choice. Where it's so important for all of us to recognise in, in this life, in the summer life, a homeless life, you know, taking leave of karma, taking leave of the world. It doesn't mean rejecting it, despising it, ignoring it. It means taking leave of the world's story of being a 
hero of being a failure, of being a victim, of being in charge. All those things that the, the praise, blame, gain, success, status, loss of status, stuff. Taking leave of it. So you don't, you know, a very, is you know, firm recognition of what the going forth is about. It doesn't mean ignoring your mum and dad. It means taking leave of the worldly dhammas of compulsion and being looked down upon and, you know, not being a winner, not being the funniest or the brightest or the strongest or the leader or whatever it is, you know, that the world makes so important. Taking leave of it. You know, it's not, it's just karma. It can never be anything satisfactory. And the more we see things in those terms, the more we value those things, the more we're setting up booby traps to walk into. And there's a, to, in take, taking leave, not just stop it, but retaking leave, which is a slightly more reflective sense of, I know the push of that, I know the satisfaction that could be derived from that, you know, getting my own way, doing this, I know what it would be like to be praised and so forth. I know that satisfaction, I know just, it is a little bit nice, but it ain't worth that much. (laughs) In the brief flush of success or triumph or whatever, or, or revenge, you know, yeah but it's like one that's even less satisfying than one of those pastries in the kitchen you know they've got a little moment of them but this other stuff has got about one millisecond's worth of satisfaction in it before you know you've got to hold it and you are it and you've got to maintain it and defend yourself again you know, and it's actually taking it one further and further into the into the plains of misery you know you look at the kind of and it's magnetic you can see how people you know human beings why do people go into politics you know you see these people just fighting over a dung heap and you know, they get to the top of it, they're lambasted by everybody. You know, the cartoonists, rivals, everybody just throws every kind of crap they can at them. And they're lying and cheating and swindling and getting angry <laughs> and doing deals. You know, and you think, for what? It's amazing, isn't it? You know, you want to be a president or a prime minister or something of that nature. Yet yeah, there's something, you know, compulsion human beings have to. To, to have that kind of glory how much is in it you know so even as someone alive you know is something is to ask yourself deeply you know what do you want do you want to follow karma the world Well, the karma of one's habits, you know, these root tendencies. Do I really want to be, you know, encouraging those perceptions that make me feel angry? Do I really want to be hanging on to carrying those perceptions that make me feel frightened or important or whatever? Mm-hmm. He's taking leave of them. And, and this is what you know, refuge is about, really. We have the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, this opportunity. We have the field of merit to dwell in. Sometimes you, so is that reflection, and and as I often suggest, it's trying to, let's get a bodily sense of that, because the, the karma drives to, well, as they, as they, particularly as they, as they become intense, 
manifests in the body. You can feel your body tightening up and, and contracting or pushing or stiffening or going rigid or feeling flattened. So even on a somatic level, releasing the, 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 the kaya sankara, the bodily uh, formation, the bodily dynamic, standing, breathing in, breathing out, feeling the palms and the hands, feeling the eyeballs, relaxing the eyes, sweeping up and down the body, soothing it from that those intensities. So this is you know, taking leave of it. You can't jump out of it because the jump is the karma. The jump is the ignorance. You can't you try and snap out of tension that is tension if you try to hurry up and relax that is tension you, know, you actually you have to be with the, the the tense state acknowledge it its message you know, empathize with that and gently take leave The very suggestion of having a conscious intention which is not aimed at fulfilling the karmic drive or reacting to it, repressing it or ignoring it or uh, so on, feeling guilty about it, but another quality of intention. This is the the chetana, the body chetana, the body chitta, the intention towards awakening. When all you really want to do is just wake up to this. So it's not just going into a passive state. It's, it's almost like a shifting the intention. And in the in the intention of waking up, there is a letting go of the need to get out of it or add to it. And there is a, you stay in that, with that intention, you can feel or sense, at least I can, within that, there's a calm center. Sometimes it's almost like a voice, you know, a silent voice saying, it's all right, it's just that. You don't need that. Here you are. Here you are. It's not necessarily verbal, but uh, the intent of presence. That actually, the core intent of chitta is just being present. It's not doing anything. It's not karma. It's not our true nature. Karma is, you know, the conditioned relative response that gets affected by ignorance in certain ways. First of all, the ignorance that, that, that assumes selfhood and assumes substance to the world. And in the ignorance which is confused reactions within that experience. It's something gets set up as a me, you, tomorrow, yesterday, you know, experience that, the, so that the stage is set, that's the first, you know, sense of the conditioned, conventional realm, and then the actors appear, is the second one, and what I'm going to do within that. And of course, within that realm, there's, there's actually there's no exit. You'll be out there forever. You know, that's what samsara is. It's the, the endlessness of karma. You'll be out there forever, whirlpooling in, the, in, that, in that ocean. The beauty of the holy life is, is that with that sense of 
you know, right intent. You know, the nature chitta is. You recognise, or you begin to sense it, that you know that that core quality of chitta is actually not separate from. It's not. It's not mine. It's a place that receives all things. It's a shared place. It's uh, so that the, the the piece of that can be shared with other beings. Not because I do it, but just because it's like you know it, it radiates. It has that nature to it because it's not a held in experience. You can't say. Oh, this is my my liberation. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, conventionally speaking, yeah. But there's any grasping around it, then it's no longer it's no longer um, released. If it's released, its nature it naturally is a kind of radiant quality to it. And I'm sure you all acknowledge that in when you meet beings who. You know, develops mature practice, something steadying, calming, uplifting about their presence. Not what they say is fine, you know, but it, it's something else because the the, the, the liberated chitta naturally, its nature is a, a radiant sense or a sharing sense or a boundless sense. And actually, this is this is what we can bring into the into the world. This is the world where without creating karma you can still have a powerful effect so it's not taking leave of the world in some um, you know purely external sense but really in terms of these these dhammas these worldly dhammas and the, the root patterns of our pain So actually, the Buddha's emphasis in the, in the Pali suttas is not really about helping the world, but about ending pain. Then helping the world happens from that, because you don't, you know. But if you, you know, create a world, then uh, that's an enormous help. <laughs> So this essential feature of, of sensing the knowing, like a, an intent that's just about present awareness, isn't, and recognizing the difference between that and to do, and the doing something, or making something, or thinking something, or figuring something out, looking. So in our meditation experience, to the degree to which there is stability and calm, if it's momentary or in periods, what the knowing of that in the midst of uh, movement, the knowing of that. Make it a very simple kind of knowing, just that which doesn't know anything about it you know, but just knows the movement, the, the changing, the pressures, the feelings of them. You begin to, you know, from that you begin to sense some of the the, the karmic tendencies one has, the, these siren songs that invite you onto the rocks of despair and, and uh, getting stuck try to sail past those I, I, I respect that voice I know that voice I've been that way I've done this enough you know, <laughs> taking leave <laughs> 